the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot more information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the show. We're happy to introduce today's boss babe, Andrea Silvers, head of content and communications for the secure document sharing platform, DocSend. Andrea is going to share insights on the metrics available when utilizing a secure sharing platform and how those findings informed her illuminating research study on venture capitalist funding trends and their impacts on women-owned startups. Andrea, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi, thank you. How can our listeners connect with you online? You can find me on LinkedIn always. Uh, just my name, Andrea Silvers. Fantastic. So let's dig right in. Talk to us about what Docsend is and what your role as head of content communications entails. Absolutely. So Docsend is a secure document sharing platform. Um, we One of our primary use cases is for fundraising. Uh, a lot of founders use us to sh- securely share their pitch deck. So when they need funding, they're sharing their pitch deck out with VCs. They can get uh, a full suite of analytics, see where the VC was digging in, what they were looking at, what they weren't looking at to help inform their fundraise. We have over 14,000 customers. And so my role as uh, head of content communications means that everything that gets written that goes out to our customers goes through me. My team looks after the social media channels, um, all of the content that we create, all the data-driven content, um, things that go into emails, all these big reports, all the blog content. uh, And I help our CEO out with all of his um, events that he goes out. Well, now that he, the Zoom events that he talks at and producing (laughs) all the data and content that that he uses for those. Take a deeper dive on um, the actual metrics that you can get when using Docsend, because I feel that that helped inform your study. Absolutely. So if you think of Docsend as kind of a beefed up uh, Google Docs. So you send your pitch deck out. And typically, if you sent it, you know, as a as a PDF or as a Google Doc, you might be able to see if somebody's in it, like you might, you could actively see on Google Docs if they're there. But that's really all that you have. So what Docsend does is it, it kind of, um, it gives you the same level of analytics as if you were pitching somebody face to face. So if I was pitching you face to face, and I had my pitch deck up, and I saw your eyes slowly glaze over, I'd be like, okay, I probably need to move off this page and move on to something else because you're giving me a lot of those visual cues. Docsend kind of replaces that. So I can see in the analytics every page that you've specifically been on, how long you were on that page, if you passed it, and then you came back to that page because you were like, oh, actually, I really liked that one slide they have. I'm going to go back. So you get that level of granular analytics. And I get a real-time notification. So I've, I've sent out my pitch deck to 70 investors, and suddenly I get pinged that three investors have opened my pitch deck right now, I can go in and look in real time at those analytics as they're going through it, which is if you're fundraising and you need, you know, you're looking for a $1 million check, very exciting (laughs) to be able to get the real time analytics. 
So tell us about the study that you've done, the research study, because it's revealed some pretty interesting and somewhat disturbing, perhaps, data about VCs and who and how they fund entrepreneurs. So DocSend, back in 2015, did a mini version of this study. Um, obviously, our, our founders had just gone through the process of fundraising. They'd used their own product during it, and they were like, this is really interesting. I wonder if our fundraise was normal or if it wasn't, because what you find in fundraising is there's not a lot of information about how to go about it. You'll have founders that come out and say, I raised $8 million in two weeks and look at how great this was. But you very rarely hear the story of somebody, hey, it took me 30 weeks. I was grinding. I had to contact all of these people. It was awful. Like They're, they're not really incentivized to tell that story. And VCs definitely aren't incentivized to tell you what they're really looking for. They have their talking points that they'll share with you. We're, we're open to any kind of founders. We're looking for great ideas. Yeah, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> what we've discovered <laughs> is that that's not true at all. They definitely have preferences. So in 2015, they did a small version of the study to give some industry norms. How long does a VC look at your pitch deck? Um, you know, what, what slides are the most interesting? So when I came on board, hey, this data is 2015. It's so old. Why don't we redo this? And as we're redoing it, why don't we add a bunch of demographic data that we didn't have originally? Because what's the difference between a female-founded company and like a co-ed company or an all-male founding team? Does that make a difference? And you know anecdotally that it does. But is there any real data to suggest that there's a bias or there's anything happening when the pitch deck gets sent out? Is there anything there that's happening? So um, we added a ton of those different types of questions, you know, the makeup of the founding team, the average age, where you're located, all of these different kinds of things. And then when we started analyzing the data, uh, it was we unfortunately found that there is, there is bias in the way that a VC views your pitch deck. We discovered that after a VC uh, views your team slide, and super common, almost every company has pictures on their team slide, um, that then informs the way they look at the rest of your pitch deck. And it's very, very different. And this is, we're talking about hundreds of pitch decks, thousands of investors, tens of thousands of you know, seconds viewed. So any sort of difference is statistically significant. And then when you're looking at the, the differences between an all-female founding team and an all-male founding team and how those are different, it, it's astounding, quite frankly. So women are judged way more harshly on their traction, which is how do I prove my business is a good business? They're judged way more harshly on their product did you actually build this product? Where is the product? And their fundraising slide where they actually ask for money isn't really viewed at all because a VC has most likely made up his mind before he even gets to how much these all-female teams are asking for that they have no intention of funding them. I'm wondering if it makes a difference. And in my head, I, I intuitively feel like it would, but does it make a difference if the VC is male or female? Do you know, it does not. Um, Interesting. It's the biases, I think, so ingrained. And I don't think it's necessarily, in, in looking at where the biases come through, it's, um, it's not necessarily like I, I am going out of my way because you're a, an all-female team. It's this sort of inherent question that comes up of, oh, okay, can they really do what they say they're going to do? They need to prove it to me. These all-female teams need to prove to me that they have this. And anecdotally, uh, all the, the female teams that I've talked to in the course of the study, they've had the same experience. The, the VCs still invite them in. They still get just as many meetings. 
which is good and bad. It's great that they got in the room and they got to talk to the VC, but it's also bad that it was kind of a waste of their time because the VC had no intention of actually giving them a check. But they go into the room and the questions are very much, well, how can you show me? How can you prove to me that you guys can go build this product? You tell me that you have this many daily active users, but what does that really mean for your business? And they just get questioned a little bit more harshly, whereas an all-male team gets to go in and say, hey, man, we have this great idea. We think it's going to be big. Here's the thought. And they're like, great, here's your check. Go, go build that great idea. We believe in you. So it's kind of the bias that you see in a lot of other areas um, of male versus female, where males kind of get the ability to be visionaries. They get hired in places based on their potential. They get promoted based on potential, whereas women have to prove it. They have to prove it every step of the way. Can you go into um, some of the actual numbers when a VC is looking at a deck on how much longer they spend scrutinizing potentially a um, women-owned startup? Yes, I can. So I should stop and explain. Uh, We found in in pitch decks, counterintuitively as this may sound, the more time a VC spends on your deck, actually the worse it is. So you don't want them lingering in your deck for a really long time. We found the average time is around like three and a half minutes that they'll spend. And it sounds really short, but when you're looking at a 20-page deck, that's actually quite a a long time to be flipping through. What you would like to see in the analytics if you're fundraising is a very steady pace. Like it's going to be flip, 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 flip through your pitch deck. They'll probably stop a little bit longer on your product because you're going to have most likely more product pages explaining what you built and how you built it and what it does. Um, They might stay a little bit longer on a financial model because it's a little bit more complicated. But ideally, if you've built your pitch deck in in the right way where there's, you know, the right amount of words per slide, it should be a fairly steady kind of flip through. If they stop and look at something, that's typically not a good sign. It means they're confused or they're scrutinizing, they're, you know, they're, they're digging into something they don't like. So for uh, all female teams versus all male teams, the VCs actually spent 50% more time studying the traction slides, which is a very, very bad sign. And they spent 24% more time digging into the product slides, which, you know, did you build this product? What is it really? And they spent 30% less time on the fundraising ask. The fundraising ask is the only place where you want them to spend more time because that's them saying, okay, you need a million dollars and you're going to spend it in these you know, five major areas, and this is how much I can give you. So it's the exact opposite of the metrics you would want to see if you had a successful pitch deck. Wow, that's so discouraging. Other than female entrepreneurs hiring guys to go pitch for them, what do we do with this information? Really good question. This is the question that we've been asking internally. Like this, the the news is really dire. And what other than not being female, like what's the answer here? Um, There's a couple things that I'm encouraged by. So we did this research and we broke it down by stage so that most of the female founded companies that were able to succeed were in the pre-seed round. As you get deeper into fundraising seed and series A, less women, less minorities, more all white male 35-year-old teams. But what we did see is there's a really large percentage, comparatively speaking, of women and minorities in the pre-seed round. So we're going to measure this. We just kicked off the research again, and we're going to measure all these same things. I'm hoping that what we saw in the pre-seed round is the start of a wave of a bunch of really successful female and minority entrepreneurs, and that they will build successful businesses and then get to the seed round. So that's 
fingers crossed, hopeful. I know um, 2020 hasn't given us a lot of space to be hopeful about things, but that's that's one uh, that I think is really encouraging. And the other is in talking to these women and how they've built their companies, you know, they, they're finding ways kind of around VC funding other than showing up with twice the traction and, you know, just knocking it out of the park, which is, you know, not an option for everyone. You can't always be the best company in the world. Um, there's other ways of getting funding. There's uh, some new platforms that do essentially VC funding, but it's crowdfunding. So you go on and you can raise up to a million dollars in a year and you just build your, if you have a, you know, a fan base or you've, you've built a bunch of um, relationships, people can invest in your company and get equity in sort of a crowdfunding way. There's a million dollar limit for a year, but it's definitely an option. One of the things we've done at Docsend in looking at all this, it's like, okay, we know now what makes a good pitch deck bias completely removed. So we can tell you this company has all the makings to be a good company. So we started the Docsend Fundraising Network where we decided to remove the bias completely from this process. And we use an algorithm that we built based on all these analytics and metrics. We give the pitch deck essentially a score and then we connect that founder directly with VCs that have opted in to see great pitch decks. And it's a, a good option if you don't have a network, a lot of people fundraise because they're like, oh, I went to college with so-and-so and now they're working at this company and they know this investor and it's a very networking heavy kind of way of doing things. But if you don't have a network, if you're you know, in Cleveland, Ohio, and you've never raised money before, but you have a brilliant idea for a company and you've started it, Dachshund Fundraising Network is one of the ways that you can potentially meet investors to submit your pitch deck. It's completely free. Um, and we're, we're just trying to kind of remove some of that bias from the process and give the pitch deck to a VC and say, hey, we've already vetted this. We know it's a good company and we think you should take the meeting. That's such a great resource. So smart. <laughs> yeah. Many, many of our badass boss babes that we bring on to talk about tech um, are founders of their own companies. So if anyone's listening <laughs> and wants to take a look at Docsend and how it can help them with their initiatives of earning money for their company, that would be a great resource. I know when we initially spoke, you mentioned after the study, you were able to go back to some of the participants and talk about the findings. Um, can you talk about what that was like and what type of conversations were had? Yes, absolutely. It was one, I think connecting with all of these amazing female founders has been great to hear their stories and how tenacious everybody has been. I, a couple of founders, uh, they run a business, it's called Handsome App. They, I spoke to them at length. They have gone through the process of raising their round, but instead of being able to walk in and get a big check all at once, like is very typical in VC funding, they were essentially the living embodiment of these metrics. They walked in, the VC said, ah, this seems like a good idea, but I need you to hit this level of traction. If you hit this, then I'll, I'll give you a check. They went, they hit that traction, they came back and the VC said, here's a small check. I'll give you this small check. And they've essentially done that and raised a rolling round, which it, you know is a, not a super common way of going about this, but they've, they've just been incredibly tenacious throughout the process. And they've been able to hit, I think, over $750,000 in funding, but doing it these small checks at a time and essentially having to hit all of these proof points and just build the heck out of their business to get there rather than being able to kind of get it all at once. But they have 
an incredible success story. And um, they were, you know, amazing to connect with. I've talked to other teams that have just gotten super discouraged. They said, listen, we took 40 meetings. We thought we were doing great. We had all these amazing meetings with all these amazing VCs and essentially walked in, had these great conversations and then never heard from them again or got like a very polite, thanks so much for coming in. It's going to be a pass from us kind of notice. And it, it's it's been really discouraging for a lot of people, but I'm incredibly heartened by the way that they've they've been communities created they're all, you know, they've come together, they're, they're sharing tips and tricks, we're offering these, you know, I'm trying to find any insights I can to help the community. And it's, you know, how do we get around the bias that exists? And how can we create a, a path for funding for these brilliant businesses that are being created, that doesn't necessarily have to go through, you know, a VC, you know, room with some middle-aged white guys in it that maybe aren't going to be forward-thinking enough to give these women the checks that they need to build these businesses. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, InPhase.biz. Thanks for listening. How about uh, on the VC side? Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Are they surprised by themselves and the data that you're showing? Really good question. There's been two major uh, kind of responses. One is anger. When we first put out the first piece of data, uh, we did get some somewhat angry emails of, hey, why are you sharing this? What's the purpose of this? What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that we're bad people? And what do you what do you say to that? You're like, well, if you're the person in this study that's doing this, then I assume you're angry a, because you... A mirror. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I assume the anger is from a place of recognizing yourself in these sort of metrics. And the other response is kind of like, well, you know, what, what do we what now? Like, what do we do now? Okay, so we've recognized that you're telling us that this is a problem. We're taking the meetings, we're bringing them in. They're like, these teams just aren't meeting our bar. And so now it's it's kind of coming back to having to bias train or having to, you know, show this is these are the exact areas where you're failing these teams. And I think, you know, we've We've been through this, I feel like, as a as a society a few different times now with the Me Too movement and everything that's happening where I feel like as women we have to keep screaming for, hey, <laughs> things aren't things aren't the way that you think they are. This bias exists. You have to, I think, show them analytics and show them hard numbers. Like all throughout tech and kind of all throughout just being a woman in society, I feel like we're constantly telling people, I feel like this is unfair. I feel like this, you know, something is happening. I feel like there's a bias here and we're constantly having to highlight things that you can't really point to. Well, he treated me differently. How can you tell? It was, I could tell he was treating me differently. And it's like, prove it. What are you doing? So we've had to come up with hard numbers. We've had to say, look, there's not enough women in leadership. Look at the percentage of women in leadership. There's not enough women in boardrooms. There's like, we just don't have the representation. So I feel like part of the reason to do this was to have the exact hard number, the exact data, where the point of failure is. So women don't have to say, hey, I walked into that room and I felt like you weren't really giving me a fair shake. I felt like you weren't really listening to my business. I can now point to it and say, 
You didn't just feel that. It happened, and it happened before you ever even walked into the room. You weren't even going to get a fair shake no matter what because that VC had already decided, and here are the points where it happened. So I, I feel like just giving them that exact information is, I don't know if it's half the battle. Maybe it's 25% of the battle, <laughs> 10% of the battle. What's recognizing the problem at hand that we've been facing, to your point, I mean, equity and parity for women in the workspace is – it has been a practice and it's something that we've had to, you know, again, just echoing you. It's like, hey, we're here and we're not being recognized based on potential um, like men are. Men are literally just like, oh, that's a great idea. That looks like a decent team. They're going to do well. Um, I'm going to invest in you based on your potential versus having to have these hard numbers. So you've addressed an issue. So this is like a a solution, right? But hopefully we'll get to a point where there will be more equity and parity. And I think that this is a step in the right direction for sure. Right. And, you know, I think what it boils down to is that there's, there's different assumptions, right? It's assumed that a man is competent. It's assumed that a guy is going to walk into your office prepared and that he has a good idea and that he has this core competency. And that's not an assumption that women are granted. Um, and I would think that your platform in general, everything that you're doing, would also be really reassuring to the women who come to you as founders, because as Vanessa said, we've interviewed many younger women founders who've had a lot of points of self-doubt along their journey. And when you can show them that, look, there's actual bias that you're up against here, there's hard numbers, it's not you, right? It's, It's a system, it's an ecosystem that we're trying to change. I would think that that would be very reaffirming to those female entrepreneurs and allow them to press on. Whereas if they didn't have that information, they might just think it's me. I've had taken all these meetings. I'm not getting anywhere. I must not have a good idea or I must be lacking the secret sauce. And Andrea, you said something also, you mentioned the word feel, which now being vulnerable and emotional and empathetic is being more accepted and being talked about how that's important as a soft skill. But in the past, feeling a certain way was very much correlated to being a woman and being emotional. So I I think that it's huge. Again, having something where you don't have to come up with like the proof. The proof is here because of the platform and the metrics and the analytics that you're providing. It's actually so funny that you say that about feeling. I was given advice 10 years ago um, about, you know, an incident happened at my job and I needed to go in and discuss it with my manager. And I was given the advice, do not use the word feel when you walk in. Don't say, I felt like this. It felt like that. Keep everything fact-based because your manager is a man. And as soon as you use the word feel in the room, you've lost him. He then thinks like, oh, you're just overreacting because you're being an emotional woman. So I can't take any of this seriously. So you have to speak that very like this happened and then this happened and it caused this. So yeah, we we haven't in the past been allowed to to be feeling and emotive and all of that. So this is just having that backup layer of data and analytics. And if if I were a female founder and I were using Docsend and I started to see these trends in how a VC was viewing my pitch deck, it might make me think twice about how much time I'm going to give that VC if he asks me to come in for a meeting versus a VC that didn't kind of have those trends in my data, how I'm going to prioritize those meetings. Mm. Am I going to spend a bunch, you know, am I going to go in two, three times to this VC firm where they've just been on my traction slide, on my traction slide, on my product slide, but they haven't looked at my fundraising slide. 
Am I going to spend a bunch of time on that? If I have other VCs that are potentially interested, I don't know if I am. I'm not telling anybody to not take a meeting, always take a meeting, I would say, but it might just, you know, depend on how you prioritize them and the feeling you have going in of, is this going to be a productive meeting for me? Or am I more using this just to get general feedback about my business? I would think that your analytics would be really useful at any business school in this country. Like Mm -hmm. people are going through business school, understanding that these kinds of biases exist and that there's data to to prove it and to sort of prepare them in case they become a VC or a founder someday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would love to turn this into um, some bias training for VCs. We're expanding the survey this year. We're expanding, you know, I want to get, we had around 500 uh, founders in our last survey. And in 500 founders, we had zero series A all female teams. So that was really disheartening. I, I ended up finding a few series A companies that had all female teams and just talking to them to get a sense of, you know, was the series A crunch real? How did it go for you? Uh, and they had very similar stories that echoed, you know, what what you've heard where, yes, it was hard. Yes, I, I you know, didn't feel like I was getting traction with VCs. So I just went back bootstrapped, built a a business that they couldn't deny and then went and got my funding. Um, So I'm trying to get a thousand for this round. And hopefully in a thousand, we have some more later stage, all female teams to give us their stories. But you know, the, the scary and potentially disheartening thing is, is what if I grab a thousand founders and there's still no late stage, all female teams in, in that kind of group. So it's, it depends on you know, those teams getting funded and those teams getting to that point for me to be able to use them in the research. But I would, I would love the next evolution of this to be, hey, we know diverse teams have better businesses. This is what blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Diverse teams <laughs> build more profitable businesses. Yep. How do you not have a spreadsheet somewhere as a VC that says, hey, this is a super diverse team. They're probably going to end up being profitable. Why am I not investing in them? But to see the actual line of, the further you go into fundraising, the more like white male it gets. It's like, but this is, this is violating everything we know about business. This is just a bad business decision. It really is. Your reach will be greater if you have a more diverse team. 100%. (laughs) You would think that anybody who is in the world of investing in new ideas and new businesses and the future would be forward thinking. And that would be super intuitive to them. And it just isn't. I, it was one of the things that really blew my mind in this research because I, I thought we'd all agreed as a society like 10 years ago when, when that first came out, like, oh yeah, more diverse team, more profitable business, done. And I would have thought that was like a, just a tick box exercise somewhere when you pitch a VC, they're like, oh yeah, diverse team, great, money, good. But no, it's actually, you know, the, the more you get into it, the more homogenous those teams start to look like. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a great service. This is an awesome initiative. I'm really excited about it. And I can't wait to see the next levels and steps that come from this. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get into our lightning round, we want to hear a little bit more about uh, your career journey in tech. So can you give us just kind of like a high level of um, how you got to this point working for Docsend? I started yonks ago working in newspapers and started to see the world change. And I thought, you know what's going to be safe? Magazines. Magazines will always be safe. I'll go work in magazines. Hilarious. Um, As you know, all of publishing (laughs) completely uh, changed. 
So I was working for World Poker Tour magazine and Facebook had just come out. And so we started testing Facebook as a potential channel to share content with people. Back when your Facebook wall was like your little photo up in the corner. I don't even think you had a wall. You just had like a feed back then. Um, And we started testing Twitter and Facebook as they came out. And I ended up kind of falling into social media because it was brand new and a cool technology. And that carried me to EA Sports. And then it carried me through to Zero, which is uh, small business cloud accounting, which is about as different from poker and sports as you can possibly get. (laughs) But focusing on SMBs and finally digging into technology and things that that were helping people Sports is fun and, and it's, you know, it's great to work on. But at the end of the day, it was like, am I doing anything to move society forward? Am I doing anything that I can feel really good about at the end of today? And working in a company that, you know, their whole job was to empower small businesses and give them the financial tools to be better entrepreneurs, that started to feel really good. And I was like, oh, okay, technology can not only be fun and fast paced to work in, but you can actually help people as you're as you're working in your job, like this is great. And that's taken me through to, you know, the last five, 10 years of, of being in, in tech and finding these companies that are trying to empower small businesses and founders. Very cool career journey. I, I love hearing people's stories because they can start out their career in one place thinking they're heading in one specific direction and the road forks and takes twists and turns and you end up doing so many interesting things and that's how it should be. So that's amazing. And that's how you learn what really like speaks to you. What are you, your core values are kind of still molding and you're becoming your own person, the older and wiser you become. So yeah, to bring those two together, you know, <laughs> bridge the gap is a, is a beautiful thing. I can't imagine how I was at like 18, 20 years old, allowed to choose a career path. I didn't know anything when I was 18 or 20. How was I, how was <laughs> I, I supposed to pick my career path? My daughters are just in their 20s now, but I know when they were applying for college, I was like, how do you know what your major has? I mean, a lot of times now you have to apply to a major program when you start college. I had no idea. I just, I think that's asking a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that system is changing too. All right. All right. Lightning round time. Are you ready, Andrea? I'm ready. Okay, awesome. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? When I was younger, I always wanted to be a marine biologist. I do some very light scuba dive. I scuba dive like in the upper where, you know, you can see all the colorful fish, nothing super deep because I feel I've seen too many documentaries now about weird stuff that's on the bottom of the ocean. How do you define success? I define success by feeling good at the end of the day when I close my computer and I am happy with myself and what I've done and feel very proud. What resources do you wish existed for women in tech or looking to get into tech? Oh my God, I wish that we had a guidebook on, you know, how to, first off, how to spot a toxic or bad work environment. Oh, I like that. I find that that, has wasted some time in my career and some of my sanity. Um, And I wish that we had instruction on how to find other badass women that we can like work with and to help like raise all of us at the same time, because we've been as females, I think kind of pitted against each other. Like there's only allowed to be one of you. Only one of you can be in this management position, which is it. (laughs) We've been told that. So I wish Immediately, I could walk into work and be handed, here's a directory of all the amazing women here. Please go find them and work with them. 
And here are all of the people to avoid. And here's the workplaces that you need to go that aren't toxic. That's what I want. Amen. Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great business idea. Yes. Yes. All right. A fun question. What is the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Oh my goodness. I've eaten kangaroo. Mm. I lived in New Zealand for many years and we went to Australia a lot. I don't think it's weird in Australia. I think it's quite common, but being here and saying kangaroo, it's like, hmm? But I'm a pretty adventurous eater. I'll eat if it's if it tastes good. I'll eat it. I like. It. I, I'm a foodie, so yeah, I'm, I, I'd be down to at least try that. What celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? Oh my goodness, that is such a hard question. Um, because if I say someone amazing and beautiful, it's like, what do you think of yourself? And then if I say someone <laughs> funny and quirky, it's like, oh, what's happened to her? So I would love to say Charlize Theron because hello, she's like amazing. But I think I would most likely be played by like Anna Kendrick because she's the girl in the corner making sarcastic comments. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool blend. Actually, I do. I like it. What's something about you that people would be surprised to know? Many moons ago, I was on the Ellen DeGeneres show. So Ellen used to have this segment. She might still have it. It was like um, what David Letterman used to have with the stupid human tricks. So I lived in LA and my aunt came to visit and she wanted to go watch a taping of Ellen because at the time Ellen was like giving away a bunch of free stuff. And she's like, we could go and get free stuff from Ellen. Um, And they came out because you have to stand in line for hours to be an audience member on these shows. So we had to stand in line and they came out and they were like, oh, we're doing the Olympics. So we're getting people that have like these interesting, you know, tricks or whatever that, that they can do. Does anybody have any like stupid human tricks? And my, we we had been late to get in line because I overslept. So my aunt like elbows me in the side. And she's like, can you do it? Do you have any hidden talents? I'm like, no, none I can think of. And she's like, figure out a hidden talent. They're almost down here and we're going to have to sit in the back if you don't. So I'm like sitting there trying to rack my brain of like, what, what hidden talent could I possibly have that can get my aunt to sit in the front row of Ellen? And then I remembered when I was a senior in high school, we had to learn the presidents as part of our like senior history class. And we learned a new president every day. And at the end, for whatever reason, we had this contest to say them all as fast as you can. And if you could say them faster than the teacher, you won $20, which when I was in high school was like a lot of money. So <laughs> I, I was like, wait, I think I still know how to say all the presidents really fast. And she was like, what? And I'm like, maybe, maybe that's a good trick. I don't know. So the producer came around and he's like, do you have any hidden talents? And I was like, well, I can do this. And he's like, okay, do it, I guess. And I did it. And he's like, I don't know if we'll use you, but you guys can sit in like the second row. So we sat in the second row and then Ellen came around and I got chosen and I did my little stupid human trick and it was a contest and we ended up, I, I lost to a girl that could zip herself in a suitcase. <laughs> okay. Wow. I would ask you, do you still remember it? Is it something you can do? Oh my God. I might be, I, I can, I don't know if I can, I used to be able to do it in like under eight seconds. Oh, like wow. Super fast. Yeah. But I can, I can give it a, a try. Should I try it? I think we need it. Yeah. We need it. Yeah. We need a demo. Okay. Let's try this. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson, Bearden, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fromwell, Christie, Cannon, Lincoln, Johnson, Great, Hayes, Carver, Lutzer, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Tyrell, Tass, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. 
Wow. <laughs> All right. Hidden talent for I'm, sure. I'm just going to take your word for it that they were all in there. That was impressive. So they, on Ellen, they slowed me down. They actually replayed it back at like half speed and they were all in there. Wow. Okay. Most unique that we've ever had. If you could start a movement that was guaranteed to go global, what would it be? I would probably start a movement where... Um, Every single person would stop using plastic bags and awful things for the environment and be very low to no waste. How have you surprised yourself in this journey? And that could be a strength that you didn't know you had or a hang up that you thought you had that you got over. How have you surprised yourself? Um, I think I'm, I'm really surprised at my own bias that has sort of come out through all of this process. Um, I've had to really confront a lot of things that I assumed about other women, about women in tech, about founders, about the process. And when you get, when you're looking at data that says, hey, this, this bias exists, that bias exists, things, these things happen, you have to stop and ask yourself, have I ever been part of the problem? Mm-hmm. And I think I absolutely have over the course of my career and my life. Uh, I've definitely been, a, you know, a woman at work that didn't necessarily support another woman when I saw things happening. And I've could have been a better ally, of course. And I've had to really, over the last, you know, few months in in looking at everything that's happening around the world, it's like, okay, what, what am I doing wrong? And how do I personally be better? Because I have to be better if I'm asking everyone else to be better. Love it. All right. Last one, fill in the blank, blank, like a girl boss like a girl. Andrea, thank you so, so much. This has been such a great conversation. I love what you are doing with DocSend, so keep on keeping on. We want you to come back and tell us the results of your next study and what you guys are doing, like what what the next goal is, what the next initiative is with this. Um, and thank you for being so present and vulnerable and talking to us about just exactly what you said. Am I part of the problem? Have I been part of the problem? Mm-hmm. I think that that's so important to ask yourself because how else do you evolve. Absolutely. Yeah. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at We Get Real AF. And visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. And we want to give a special thanks to Florence Lumsden, our associate producer for the We Get Real AF podcast. You can find Flo on LinkedIn at Florence Lumsden, L-U-M-S-D-E-N, or at her website, danceandflowproductions.com. That's D-A-N-C-I-N. FLO Productions. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.